Leviticus chapter 23. This is where we've been for the past few weeks and where we'll be this morning. So if you turn your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 23, if you're using the Pew Bible 101, beginning with verse 15, I'm going to read verses 15 through 22. You shall count seven full weeks from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, you shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall present a grain offering of new grain to the Lord. You shall bring from your dwelling places two loaves of bread to be waved, made of two tenths of an ephah. They shall be of fine flour, and they shall be baked with leaven as first fruits to the Lord. And you shall present with the bread seven lambs, a year old, without blemish, and one bull from the herd, and two rams. They shall be a burnt offering to the Lord with their grain offering and their drink offering, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And you shall offer one male goat for a sin offering and two male lambs for a, a year old as a sacrifice of peace offering. And the priest shall wave them with the bread of the first fruits as a wave offering before the Lord with the two lambs. They shall be holy to the Lord for the priest. And you shall make a proclamation on the same day. You shall hold a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. It is a statute forever in all your dwelling places throughout your generations. And when you do reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, nor shall you glean, gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor, for the sojourner, for I am the Lord your God. So, over the past few weeks, we've been talking about the feasts of the Lord that we find in Leviticus, but we also find them in Exodus and, and Numbers and Deuteronomy, these, these feasts that centered the calendar of the Jewish people that were so important that they became laws, like you have to do this, you have to sacrifice this, you have to present this, all of this to, to, to unify the people, but to make God the very center of their lives. Last week we talked about the Feast of First Fruits, when they were to bring the very first of their field, the first of their harvest in, and present it to the Lord in thanksgiving, but also with a sense of a promise. Because if you bring it in the very first, they're saying that we believe that God will bring in even more. If you bring God your best, that's not the end of the best. In fact, much, much more is going to be brought in because of your faithfulness and your trust in God. It is a pledge then. Last week's is like a pledge, an act of faith in the harvest that is to come. This is the Feast of Weeks. Um, it is counting 50 days after that first feast and through into this feast, um, this feast here in 23, verses 15 through 22. I want you to notice that this is not the feast of the harvest. This is when they're, 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 they're wrapping up the harvest, the harvest is all over, and they're, they're bringing it all in, and, and, and now they're celebrating. But notice that it's not called the Feast of the Harvest, it's called the Feast of Weeks. Why the Feast of Weeks and not the Feast of Harvest? Because the harvest isn't as important. The, the physical thing that they're about to do isn't nearly as important as the spiritual truth that is pointing them toward. And what is it pointing them toward? And notice the number seven, right? You count off seven. And the number seven holds significance in the scriptures. It's the number of perfection. It doesn't mean perfect as in no blemish. It means perfect as in you've completed a puzzle, right? It's whole. It, it, it's done. It's complete. And this is a celebration of completion. 
But we also notice this word Sabbath is invoked, that this is going to be a Sabbath feast. The word Sabbath doesn't mean Saturday. The word Sabbath means a period of rest and remembrance and worship. Now, it happened to take place on Saturday, but it was also happened to take place every seventh year for an entire year. Imagine that, a year-long vacation. Yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> excited about that. We ought to celebrate these feasts. That would be good. Um, and so, so this is a Sabbath to the Lord. So you can imagine they brought in the first of their harvest. That's not that difficult. But then they've had 50 days of planting, of reaping, of, of, of binding together, of threshing the wheat, of doing all of the things that one would need for a harvest. And I don't know how many of you have grown up on a farm or spent any time on a farm, but it's a lot of work. And you might need a little rest after that. So God legislates to them. He says, listen, I'm commanding you, take a break. Take a break. Some of you might need a word from the Lord that says, I'm commanding you, take a break. You can't work all the time. So God commands them to do this. And he draws them together to celebrate the fact that all of this that they have been waiting for and hoping for, this harvest time, it's all completed. God has fulfilled his word. He has brought in all of their their bounty, and they have, um, they have fully harvest, harvested. All right, so I want to bring out a few points here. If you look at your Bibles, and again, this is, we're only going to scratch the surface of the depth of the Word of God here. But if you look at your Bibles, I want you to look at verse 16. The second half of it, the second sentence there, it says, Then you shall present a grain offering of new grain to the Lord. If you write in your Bibles, underline that, 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 those two words, new grain. I think that's really important. You see, God is, God is the, the, the point of this harvest is to draw the people to see that God has fulfilled his promises. The, fir, the feast of first fruits is believing that God will fulfill his promise. And the feast of weeks is seeing how God has fulfilled his promises. And so that's how we can say to these people, hey, you need to bring in the new grain. We're afraid, I think, every time um, Judy comes up to us and says, hey, listen, I need some help Sunday morning. We're afraid when we write our, our, our tithe checks. We're afraid when maybe Gene or maybe I come up to you and say, hey, listen, I need help here or here. We're afraid when it comes time to offer our first and our best to God because we are finite creatures. We have only so much money, only so much time, only so much energy. And so giving of that we know will reduce the total whole, and we're afraid to do that. Uh, but God, there is no finiteness. God is infinite. There is no holding back. And so he can say to the people, hey, listen, bring in your first fruits because I know at the end of the harvest, when it's all done, you're still going to have more than you need and you're going to have plenty to bring in another harvest altogether. So bring in the new grain because God has not let the flow of blessings stop from the people. We see this when we give God our first and our best, I, I confess that I wrestle with this. I, I don't know how many of you, some of you are probably perfect and you don't wrestle with this at all, but I, I wrestle with giving God the first of my day in prayer um, and in scripture study because I hate getting up early because getting up early is evil incarnate. And so, uh, and so it's a very difficult thing for me, but I find that, that, the, that when I do this, the day runs smoother. I, in fact, part of the reason isn't just that I hate getting up early because having a kid just kills you. You just, you just get up early. You just wake up and can't do anything anymore about sleeping in. And so um, 
It's not so much that it's the fact that I only have so much time in the day. Like, my time is limited, and I, and I, I need to get up and go, 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 go. And, and I know I don't have time to worship God in the morning. I don't have time for it. And yet, I find when I say, forget it, I'm going to make time for it, the day begins to run smoother. Like, everything runs together, which means that everything happens faster, which means I get more done, which means at the end of the day, I almost always find I have more time left over. So God is able, when we give the very first of our day, for this is just a for instance, the first of our day to him, he is able to make everything else line up so that at the end of the day, there is more to be offered, there's more to be, to be spent, there's more to be given, there's more to be enjoyed, that God takes the first, but he also gives the last. He wants to bless us all the way through. And that's, I think, what these feasts draw our minds to, how God fulfills and completes and gives to us more and more and more. We noticed that at last week, um, when, they brought in, uh, when they brought in their sacrifice of grain, they brought in a sheaf of grain. And, and this is what you would do. You would go through a field, and you would sickle it, you would cut it down, and you would bring the stalks together, and you'd bind them together, and you'd have this sheaf of wheat. And that's where that old hymn, some of you guys might remember, bringing in the sheaves, that's where that comes from, this idea. And so they would bring a sheaf in to the temple, and they would wave it, and this was part of their sacrificial process. But here they're not bringing a sheaf. What are they bringing? Verse 17, first half of it. You shall bring from your dwelling places two loaves of bread to be waved, made of two-tenths of an ephah. Now this um, should call us to see the completion notion again here. You had the sheaf of wheat, and this sheaf of wheat, this was just the raw material. I mean, you could cook grain and you could eat it, I guess, if you wanted to, but why would you want to do that when you could bake it into a baguette? Or an English muffin and sell it to McDonald's and then get those delicious little, you know, I mean, that's so much better than grain. And so this is, this is what we see. We kind of see this completion that, that at the beginning, all there is is the raw material. At the beginning, is all there is is just this promise. But at the end, this feast of weeks, this celebration that completes the harvest, no, you stop and you bring in fully grown animals. You bring in bread that's been leavened, that's been baked, and you wave these, 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 these things before the Lord because they represent the fulfillment of the promise, the completion of what God said he would do. Last week then, I concluded with talking about uh, why, why would we wave? Why would they wave the grain? It's not like God has a hard time seeing. He didn't have his bifocals on, so, you know, wave it really hard or something like that. I mean, God can see it. And what's the point of waving it before the, before the Lord? It's that the, the tabernacle was full of people, and you would step up to do your sacrifice before, before the priest, but your people all around behind you, and you wave it so that everyone can see. Everyone can see the Lord's promise, promises and promises being fulfilled. Last week I said, you know, how is it that you are waving the promises of God in your life before your friends, before your neighbors, before your co-workers? How are you talking about what God has promised to do for you? This week in this feast of completion, this feast of celebration, how are you waving what God has completed in your life? How are you sharing the promises that God has fulfilled in your life with people? Because this is how, again, this is how we can really make an impact in the lives of people who don't know the Lord. We can say, listen, God promised he would do this, and here you can see how God did it. And, and don't you want to have a part of that? Don't you want a piece of that? Don't you want that for your own life, for your own self? 
So how are you displaying that? What has God done in your life? What promise has he fulfilled? And here, um, I, I think we could probably bring up some people that have testimonies, and were I a better planner, that would have been a good idea that I just had, just now. <laughs> but instead, I, I, I want to be self-critical, because I'm way better at that. Um, and I was thinking about the ways in which God completes things in our lives, and this becomes visible for everyone to see and to receive a blessing. And I, 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 this week, I was um, extremely childish. There was a situation that happened, and uh, my response was just like, like, like middle high. No insult to any of you middle highers. But it was just very juvenile. Um, and I didn't even recognize it at the time. It was the next day that I stopped, and I thought, boy, that was really childish, Jordan. You shouldn't have done that. I was a really terrible example. Uh, of that, And it drew my mind, and the Spirit convicted my heart. Um, I thought of this text, of course, because I've been thinking about it all week, but also 2 Corinthians, 2, 9, uh, 2 Corinthians 9, 10, which says, He that is God supplies seed to the sower, bread for food. He will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of righteousness. And this is often pictured throughout the New Testament, and in the Old Testament as well, this, this idea that God is planting holiness in us. He's planting righteousness in us. He's planting peace and goodness in us. He's planting all of his own characteristics inside of us, and that these things are su- supposed to be growing and growing and growing, and so that, that, that the harvest could be a righteous action. That in that situation, instead of being childlike, a childish in my response to, the, to this person, I would have been encouraging. I would have been uplifting. I would have um, maybe offered a critical advice, but one with a heart and spirit of, of, of love and gentleness and patience. But instead I didn't. Instead I didn't. And think this is a broad failure, and I've really seen this displayed this week, you know, this horrendous uh, situation we saw in, in, in Beirut and then in, in, in Paris this week. Um, and our, our hearts obviously go out to, to people who have, have suffered and died. Um, but what do I see Christians saying? Um, I hear them talk, calling for, you know, th- these saying horrible things about Muslims. I hear them uh, calling for, for death to, to people. You know, I, I, I hear a response. It seems to be we're answering evil or violence with more violence, with more evil, which seems strange to me because that's not the way that Christ seemed to respond to our violence, is it? And it's not the way in which the early Christian martyrs responded. Read Acts for crying out loud. Where did Paul go? He went to people he knew would throw stones at him. He went to people that he knew would try to kill him. He went to Caesar himself, the, the, the head of the empire, in the mere chance, like the mere chance, and it wasn't a good chance, right? I mean, emperor of the whole world, why don't you become a Christian? Not a great chance you're going to win him over. But for Paul, his life mattered nothing in comparison with one person coming to Jesus. Where is that hunger for us today? We saw further childishness in the Starbucks Red Cup scandal, right? Just insanity going on there, which it happens to be like a totally fictitious thing. Like it's just one person mouthing off, and we, we know that all the time. But what was the response? You had Christian blogger after Christian blogger saying, hey, Christian, stop. It's just this, this furor around something that no one should ever care about ever in the history of all humanity. What is on a Starbucks cup, Right? 
But this is a prelude. As ridiculous as it is, it's a prelude to us worrying and complaining about whether my Walmart greeter says Happy Holidays or Merry Christmas. I don't care. I just want to pick up some eggnog, right? But we get bent out of shape about these things. And we get quarrelsome about these things. It makes me think of 2 Timothy 2, 23. Foolish, ignorant controversies that you know will breed quarrels. You know, Christians should be one thing. We should not be quarrelsome. We are called to be peacemakers and gospel preachers. That's our only concern. And yet we're concerned about so many other things. And we display the fact that God has definitely planted holiness. He has given you his spirit. He has given you his word. And yet we aren't reaping the harvest of righteousness. And I, I think about like what would, what would bring people to Jesus today? What would draw people to Jesus? Because that's what we're all about, right? It's not even necessarily drawing them to Oakland Drive Christian Church. We want people to meet Jesus. Because if you meet Jesus, you will fall in love with his people. Because we go together. And we're to be introducing people to Jesus. How do we do that? What could you wave in front of them? Aside from delicious loaves of bread. You could wave before them a person who is reasonable. Who is peaceful who has a listening ear, who is righteous and quiet and calm and collected. One of my favorite verses from Philippians chapter 4, verse 5 says, Let your reasonableness be known to all. Why? Because he says, The Lord is near. We could wave a righteous life before the world a completion of the promise of God to make us whole, that we would be the kind of people who have fruit growing off us like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness, faithfulness and self-control. And people would stop and say, wow, wow, that's something. While the whole world is losing their minds over bombings and, and Starbucks cups, here's a group of people who have love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. That that would be something that people might take account of. And that's what I'd like to see in my own life and in yours as well. I notice also the second half of verse 17 as we continue on in our text. If you'd look at that. They shall be made, that's again the loaves here, they shall be made of fine flour. They shall be baked with leaven as first fruits to the Lord. Now, I, I can see us just sort of reading past this quickly, and I feel like we probably do that if we ever read Leviticus. We just kind of burn through it. And yet, we should stop here because this is the only holiday that the Jews had where they were called to use leaven, to use yeast. They were always to be sort of uh, the flatbread, never the puffy kind. And uh, that's a technical, biblical term, puffy kind, by the way. It's in there somewhere. Um, but this is, this is highly significant uh, because, uh, again, this is representing the fullness of the promise of God. Before, they're bringing in just the raw materials, and now they're, they're bringing in this full uh, leavened, this big loaf of bread uh, because it represents the fullness of of God's provision, the fullness of his completion, the fullness of all that he is going to give to us, how enriched and loving and full and wonderful is the work of of God in our lives. And that's what's being displayed here in verse 17. It's being displayed for all to see. 
And Jesus talks about leaven in a positive way. He says in Matthew chapter 13, verse 33, he tells a little parable. This is just a one-line parable, but he says, the kingdom of God is like a woman who took uh, leaven or yeast and she put it in the flour and she stuck it away for three months uh, waiting for it to be filled out. And the kingdom of God is, is very much like that. It's something that is growing, is, is expanding. Your lives are growing and expanding. Uh, Jesus' power and influence over us, the Holy Spirit within us, all of this is growing and expanding and becoming greater and bigger and more. And, and that's, I think, the, the, again, back to the point just a second ago, that that's the harvest that God seems most interested in. Because, you know, we need bread, we need food, there needs to be harvest, there needs to be a provision for the people, but Jesus seems to be much more concerned about lives. That, that these physical things are meant to be a window into spiritual things, that the physical things are meant to be a window into how you live your life, how you act, how you behave, what comes out of your mouth coming from the heart, what's coming out of you. And that seems to be what matters the most. And it should be expanding in righteousness and in goodness and in peace. These are the things that are found in Jesus. These are the things that are found in the Spirit. Now this fulfillment then happens through the feast, um, as I've as I've said, is they're bringing in the sheaves and they're bringing in the full-grown animals and they're bringing in the bread and it's all been baked and all this sort of thing happens. And we have a new high priest who is speaking to us greater things. He's speaking to us of the harvest of God. So uh, we are still throughout this chapter though thinking about how Jesus fulfills all that he has so Jesus says, I've come to fulfill the law and the prophets. So how does Jesus fulfill Leviticus 23? I want you to look at your Bibles, and I want you to think big picture with me for a moment. Track with me. So we have in verses 4 through 8, chapter 23, verses 4 through 8, and you'll probably have headings in your Bibles. It says the Passover, right? The Passover. How did Jesus fulfill the Passover? Well, you might recall that Passover was the weekend in which the Jews were gathering in Jerusalem and Jesus found himself there and he has the Passover meal with his disciples, doesn't he? Which is what we just celebrated here this morning. And you might recall that that's the time in which Jesus himself was crucified. So Jesus crucified over Passover. You, you remember that Passover is a celebration of, of how in Egypt uh, the Israelites put the blood of the lamb upon the door and lintel of their homes. And this allowed the angel of death to pass over them because it marked them as God's people. And so Jesus dies over Passover and Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, verse 7 that Christ, our Passover lamb, has been slain. So Christ is the one who marks us now, not just in that moment for that one Passover, but for all eternity. We are set apart as God's children. Notice then the next one, uh, the Feast of First Fruits. Now the Feast of First Fruits begins... The first, uh, the beginning of the first week after Passover, which would be what? What day? Lloyd had it, but Sunday. Sunday is correct, but Easter is what Lloyd said, yeah. That is what happens. The Feast of First Fruits is the first Sunday after that weekend, which means that that is the day on which resurrect, that Jesus was resurrected. So how does Jesus fulfill 
the um, feast of first fruits, he is resurrected from the dead. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20 says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And again, he says in verse 23, But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, and then at his coming, all of those who belong to Christ. So in Passover, our, uh, our Passover lamb, Jesus, is slain. And in the first, the beginning of first fruits, our slain lamb rises again. And then 50 days later happens this feast, the we- Feast of Weeks, which is also known as Pentecost. And upon this day, you might remember, it was the Holy Spirit falling. The Holy Spirit falls in Acts chapter 2, verse 1. It says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared on them and rested on them. And they were all full of the Holy Spirit. They began to speak as the Spirit gave them utterance. And so Jesus fulfills the law and the prophets here specifically in the feast. He fulfills them by being the lamb that we needed to be slain. He fulfills the feast of first fruits by revealing to us the deeper truth that that not only did he come back to life again, but we too will be raised to a newness of life so that whether we stay or whether we go today, uh, we will one day stand with God in the kingdom of God, stand with Jesus in the kingdom of God. And then we have the fulfillment of the Feast of Weeks, and that is the day of Pentecost. So the Holy Spirit coming, and this is connected to the notion of harvest, remember? This is a harvest festival. And so what is, what is happening in the, the feast, uh, what is happening in Pentecost with Peter? The Spirit is falling upon the disciples and they are going into the world. They're being driven into the world to go and to make disciples. You might remember Jesus saying, Lo, the fields are white unto the harvest. Remember that? And he said, um, uh, The harvest is plentiful, uh, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. This then is a revelation that that Jesus is looking at all of the people who are broken, who are hurting. He looks across and he sees poverty. He sees oppression. He sees um, shame. He sees the past and he sees the present of people. And he says, look at all of these broken people. They are ready to be brought into um, the family of God. They're ready to be brought into salvation. They're ready to be, to be harvested. And you remember when this Holy Spirit falls on Jesus after he's baptized by John in the Jordan River, he is immediately driven into the wilderness. And that's sort of the imperative word there. He's driven into the wilderness. And he comes out ablaze for God. He comes out ready to, to talk to people, to preach to people, to heal people. He is now all about harvesting. He is now all about ministry. And what happens when the Holy Spirit falls upon the church? It falls upon Peter, and he immediately stands up and he begins to preach. And people are standing around and saying, This guy's drunk. Like he's crazy. He's crazy. And Peter says, no, we're not. This is what Joel said would happen. Joel prophesied that the Spirit would fall and men and women on young and old and people would have visions and dreams and they would be ready for that harvest. And Peter says, now is that day. Now is that day. And so 
The fulfillment of the Feast of Weeks centers the people on God and reminding them that God is the one who fulfills his promises, that God is the one who brings in the harvest and gives them all that they have. But in the New Testament, there is a deeper, more spiritual, more beautiful completion to this feast, and that is the giving of the Holy Spirit, the fulfillment of the promise of God, that God's Spirit would fall upon the people and that those people, his chosen people, would go into the world to be a blessing to them. Put simply, then, we should be the people who are out in the fields harvesting. And that's what we are to be all about, that all of this Leviticus 23 stuff is is but a foreshadowing of the greater truth to come. And that greater truth stands before us today. That idea of waving the loaves comes to me again, this idea of, of presenting to God all that he has done and thanking God for all that he has completed in our lives, but also the idea of, of uh, waving that before other people so that they can see, because we need people to meet Jesus. There's a story in Matthew chapter 2, a, a parable of a, of a wedding feast. Jesus is speaking about the kingdom of God, and he compares it to a king uh, who has a son, and, and, and his son gets married, or is going to get married, and, and he invites all of the, the, the wealthy and all of the powerful of his kingdom. He invites the best of the best to come and, and, and be at his, uh, his, his son's wedding. But they all reject him. They say, you know, I'm too busy. I got something going on. I, I can't be there. Um, no thank you. And the king is sort of, he's furious, uh, but he says, fine, then, then you go. You go and you go into the alleys and you go into the streets and you go into the place and you just pull people. I mean, I don't care if they're beggars. I don't care if they're lame. I don't care if they're prostitutes or sinners. I don't care who they are. Just You bring them in. You give them, right? We'll, we'll put a robe on them and they will be my wedding guests. Now, obviously, um, the son is Jesus and the, the wedding, the thing that Jesus will receive is the kingdom of God and the lost the lame, the crippled, those are the people who are in the streets. But it made me stop for a moment to think, who are the people going to gather the lost in the streets in this story? Who is that? Who is it? Who is it? We are the ones who have been invited into the king's house even though we were once broken and lame sinners. We've been clothed in the righteousness, not of our own, but of the Son of God himself. And then we have been given over this task to go into the fields and to harvest that which we did not plant, that which we did not grow, that which we have no right to even be a part of, and yet we have been called, called to be the people of the harvest, called to be the people going into the street called to be the witnesses to the grace, love, forgiveness, compassion, mercy of God. So as we come to a conclusion this morning, as we think about the feasts of the Lord, as we think about how God has completed those in Jesus Christ, of course we can see in the feast of weeks the falling of the Spirit, the empowering of the Spirit, the gift of the Spirit, but I don't want that gift to stay with you. And I don't think God wants that gift to stay with you either. I think God is using that Spirit to drive us, to send us, to call us, 
to be the people who invite others to meet this Jesus and not, not the great, not the wonderful, not the people who have got it all put together. No, go to the people who are broken. Go to those who are hurting. Go to those in your life who need to hear a message of forgiveness and mercy. For God has fulfilled his word in your life. He has brought to completion in your life so much. Why keep that to yourself? Why not share Jesus with the world? Let's think about that as we stand and sing this song.